curry puffs, the king of fruit, and rating different satay sauces. This week, we're in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Destination Eat Drink is where we celebrate the food of the world at DestinationEatDrink.com, on the Destination Eat Drink YouTube channel, and right here on the Destination Eat Drink podcast. And this week, we're traveling to Malaysia to talk with Pauline Lee about her city of Kuala Lumpur. But first, if food and travel is your thing and you like the podcast, be sure to take a moment to rate and review us on your podcast platform. It really helps foodie travelers like yourself find the show. And if you're really liking Destination Eat Drink, please consider supporting the show with a one-time or continuing contribution in any amount at buymeacoffee.com slash Destination Eat Drink. And thank you very, very much. Pauline Lee is a foodie tour guide for Simply Inak, a Kuala Lumpur food tour company. And in case you're wondering, Inak means delicious in Malaysian. Pauline Lee loves her city. She loves talking to guests and helping them discover Kuala Lumpur's culinary delights. She talks with me about the many influences in Malaysian cuisine like Indian, Chinese, Indonesian. Plus, she tells me why it's difficult to find good rendang in Kuala Lumpur and the best street food for you to sample when you visit her city. She also shares an amazing coffee drink that reminds me of one in Italy and she gives me a 100 rather generously for pronunciation. Okay, I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination Eat Drink. Pauline from Simply Enac Food Tours in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink. It's great to get to talk to you today. Pleasure to say, Brand. I'm looking forward to share about my country and myself. I think a lot of people, they've heard of Kuala Lumpur, but maybe they don't know exactly where it is in the world. So could you just give us a, an idea? Where are we talking about? Where is this place exactly? I know we're so undermarketed. And but there's so much to share, and to give uh like probably the most easiest uh coordination or map would be below Thailand above Singapore. I hope that cuts up. <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> Everyone knows Singapore City. Everyone knows Bangkok City. Yeah. <laughs> so between those two, and you know, it's quite a distance to have to travel if you're coming from North America. I'm I'm in uh, Portugal, so it'd be quite a distance for me as well, but. Now we're talking, uh, everyone's talking about revenge tourism, which is, you know, this idea that we've been locked down during the pandemic. We haven't traveled. Now we're going to go and travel. So I'm just wondering, Pauline, now that tourism is beginning to come back and maybe with maybe quite a bit coming back, who are you seeing on your food tours? Who's coming to Kuala Lumpur now? So, well, revenge traveling started last year. Um, you know, it's uh, been, a, been a crazy one year and a half, to be honest. So actually, uh, uh, the borders just opened probably in uh, April for us. And June, July, August has been crazy back in 2022. Um, I've never seen this comeback before. 
everything that we've lost in COVID, we've gained it back, and that's great. But this year is then it sort of uh, stabilized a bit. The China market is still taking its time because obviously we know they are the last one to open up. So we have a lot of Americans coming on the cruise back again. So the cruise uh, ships have caught up again, especially in Georgetown. And then we have uh, definitely the Europeans coming back, the Dutch people, uh, and then the British as well. And it's predominantly our sector as well. Uh, but we also have some pockets of, uh, of course, it all started with uh, the expats uh, from Singapore and of course locally as well. Because with the COVID lockdown, they were not allowed, obviously, to to visit the, you know, the, uh, uh, the uh, families. So once the border opens up and then the family can meet up. And so we're seeing a lot of expats as well bring their parents or the grandparents or relatives and friends come over. Let's talk about some of your food tours that you guys do at Simply Neck because you guys, I love markets and I talk about this on the podcast all the time, how I say, um, mm. go, go to the market. The market is, is going to be your friend. This is a place where you have to stop by. And you guys do an mm. off the beaten path tour where you take visitors to the local market. Describe the atmosphere here at the market. What's it like? You know, what will we expect to see when we go there? Yeah, a lot of people, especially a lot of Caucasians have a different idea of the market. In Markets in Southeast Asia can be quite um, an eye-opener. Uh, you know, it's very different from the clean Western context market. So we say, I call it the wet market experience. And when I say it's wet, it's wet. So <laughs> it's not like the markets you find in Madrid or borough market in London even, or the uh, market in Melbourne, you know, we've got a big mart there. It's very different. So I started the Chowkit Market, and this was the perfect market that I had in mind for everyone to see. You you see, like, really um, fresh sea, you see the fresh seafood fishes, you see the cow's head, you see the skin, you see every part of cow, you see chickens, we have bones. You know, a lot of Western people are not used to eating meat uh, with bones these days. Uh, Portugal is a bit different, I think, back where you come from. Then you see the real thing, right? Especially the fish. Yeah, yeah, you see the actual fish, you know, and you know how that fish looks like. But these days, people are so exposed to just eating filet, you know, with no bones. So for me, market is the perfect place to start because that's where you see it's like, you know, the actual fish, how it looks like, chicken, the color, the feathers, the skin. Um, And of course, with the market, you have the fresh vegetables, the fruits, you know, Um, everything is fresh there. It's so vibrant. You know, when you go into the chocolate market, you see like the locals and they're selling their produce and the, the market atmosphere, the vibes, how they trade, where do they store their cash in a little bucket up that's the cash register. So it's just very up-tempo. And then, you know, when you go there during closing time, it's even more tempo because, like, they're trying to sell off all their produce. They're giving you extra discounts. They, you know, all these things that they do to make you come to their stalls. So, yeah, it's it's just, uh, it's, a kaleidoscope of everything in the markets. I love markets. One of the things that always strikes me about Southeast Asia is the 
unusual produce, stuff that we would never see in a European or North American market. Mm. And I'm just wondering, are, are there fruits and vegetables that North Americans or Europeans come in and they go, wow, I've never seen that before? <laughs> Plenty, actually. Um, so we start with the salad corn, I call it. Um, I love exposing, um, you know, tourists or visitors to ulam. So ulam is like our salad. Yeah. So we've got the king, uh, the king of ulam, ulam raja, we call it, uh, in local Basam Nation. And then we've got the pennywort, or we call it the pegagan. So all these herbs, there's so many different types of herbs, 50 different types of herbs. And there's a stall that sells all these and it has these local names in there. And I just love exposing people to, to these kind of herbs because it teach them about uh, the different uh, goodness, the benefits of eating each herb. And, uh, you know, one of the dishes that comes with this herb is we have a dish called nasi ulam. Nasi is rice, ulam is herbs, herbs rice. And it's absolutely delicious. What's the name of that dish again, Pauline? It's called nasi ulam. Nasi ulam. And that's with rice yes. and herbs. And what else? Uh, so you could put uh, savory things like shallots in there as well, or desiccated coconut, you know, shrimp to make it a bit more rounded in flavor. Uh, but in essence, it is different types of leaves or herbs. So you can put ulam raja in it. You can put um, uh, the pennywort in it. You have kacang botol, uh, you know, four angle beans. Uh, you can have uh, mint in it as well, you know. So it's all kinds of different. You've got coffee lime leaves as well. You can slit it. So you cut it and mince it very finely. And then you mix it all up in the rice. So it's almost like a fragrant rice. And different families, different area where you come from, serve it differently. So you have different combination of herbs. So that's it's crazy. Malaysian is just like crazily diversified. That's one word I have. And second thing is that um, in the market, of course, it's seasonal. But we have the king of fruits, of course, and the queen of fruits. And what's that? <laughs> so the king of fruits is the durian. If you haven't heard about it. I've heard of the durian. I've never experienced it. But everyone <laughs> everyone who talks about durian, <laughs> they have a very strong reaction. Yeah. Thailand, you know, a decade ago, when you talk about durians, people think about Thailand. Yeah. But now when you talk about durian, you think about Malaysia. Why? Malaysia is almost like uh, uh, we have experimented and came out with a concoction of hybrids. So just like eating chocolates, where someone has a preference for milk chocolate, white chocolate, you've got the dark chocolate, 55%, 62%, 80%, even 99%. So eating durians is similar to that. So you've got people who like the bittersweet taste. You've got people who like the sweet, sweet durians. You've got those who like the uh, firm, or a bit more moist, so all the different crazy combinations that you can hear of are the different types of durians. We've got durian kampung, the village durians. We've got uh, the branded, how I call it, the Louis Vuitton uh, durian called the D197. Yeah, it's a scientific name, D197. And it's heavily exported to two main countries. One is Singapore, of course, our neighbor. All right, with their wonderful uh, currency exchange, they get some of the best uh, and they block out in the farms, our Malaysian durian farms, some of the best fruits, AAA grades, and then, of course, to China as well. 
One of the things that I talk about on this podcast a lot, Pauline, is uh, called transplanted cuisine, which is when a dish or an ingredient moves from one place to another, usually by migration, sometimes by colonization. We know a lot about that from uh, Portugal. Mm -hmm. And as I was researching in preparation to talk to you, I was just struck by how many, how diverse Malaysia is and all these different ethnic groups that create this really cool tapestry. And I have to imagine that that really um, presents itself with the cuisine as well. So with that idea of transplanted cuisine, how would you talk about some of the dishes in Malaysia? Yeah, like I, I used that word, crazily diversified is the word for it. And today, I actually, I'm just representing the peninsula Malaysia. Can you imagine the East Malaysia that includes Borneo as well? It's a totally different world. But let's come back to peninsula Malaysia. So we've got like, um, uh, we've got Malay, we've got the Chinese, we've got the Indians. So uh, one dish that comes to my mind is, for example, the samosa, or our local version, what we call the curry puff. The curry puffs, the Malays make it with sardine fillings in it. And then the Chinese would have the curry chicken and egg in it. Yeah. And the Indians would have dal in it. So, of course, we have samosas from India, right? And mostly with chat, with the dal, uh, vegetarian version. But this is what has happened in Malaysia. I mean, I used to go to this, uh, well, long, long time ago, there was this vendor. Um, he's passed on, unfortunately, but he made the mutton version of the curry puffs. And um, it was just spectacular, just how amazing a samosa can become so many versions assimilated to the local communities here at home. That's so cool. So you've got samosas that are traditionally Indian, and then you've got these ones that are filled with mutton, which must be the um, Malaysian version of that. Um, yeah. Any any other examples of uh, of cuisine that's come from another place? You've got a huge Chinese population in Malaysia. Um, what's their cuisine contribution? Uh, you think about Chinese, you think about noodles, right? So we have a dish here in Kuala Lumpur, and it's called ban mi, okay? So um, it's essentially noodles uh, and it has anchovies, uh, fungus, mushrooms, edible fungus, <laughs> uh, and you have mint meat in it and traditionally served with a soup, with uh, sweet potato leaves, yeah? So it's, um, uh, you when you Google bunny, interestingly, um, you find Chowkit related to Pani. <laughs> That's a famous store in, in Chowkit that serves Pani. Um, but um, so, and with Pani, you also have the um, poached eggs as well. Uh, I think this is also very, um, it has also simulated to the local Chinese community because it has that uh, poached egg and also the, uh, the chili that comes with it. That's why we call it chili Pani. So the chili is a, a secret, uh, you know, concoction or formula that is, you know, from the owners. And they have got the dried chili, fresh chili, you've got shallots as well. So that whole combo um, mix with the noodles is it's fantastic. 
You talked about the chilies. Is is that a typical ingredient that we would find in Malaysian cuisine? Is is it typically spicy and hot and flavored with a lot of chilies like we would expect with Indian food? Yeah. So the thing is, um, with the Malay and the Indian cuisine, most of the chilies and the spices are in the dish itself. Of course, they are also dishes that are non-spicy. But the Chinese have it a little smarter, interestingly. They put the chili at the side. So, for example, with chili bani, you can obviously omit the chili because it's at the side. So whether you have it fresh cut chilies with a sharp garlic, you know, freshly cut garlic, or even the uh, uh, the special chili that serves with bani, it's all at the side. So it's up to you how much spice you can tolerate and how much spice you want in your noodles. <laughs> you know, here in Portugal, um, they famously don't eat a lot of chilies, even though the Portuguese, through their colonization, were responsible for bringing chilies to a lot of places, including including India. But it's funny because when we come here, um, the typical dishes in Portugal don't have a lot of spice, but you'll often find the piri-piri sauce uh, sold in grocery stores. And then when I go to the market, there's this one vendor on the corner, and all they have is the uh, is the hot chili peppers. And they seem to be doing good business. And I'm like, where are these going? Because I, I don't taste them in any of the food that we have here. But of course, I buy some and I love making it at home. <laughs> oh, yes, that's the, that's, the, that's the interesting part as well, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you've got a uh, little Indonesia in Kuala Lumpur as well. Any, um, any mm. other Indonesian food that's made its way into the mainstream of Malaysian cuisine? Um, I would have to say it would be the satay. Oh, of course. So satay is very popular. You can get different types of versions of satay in Indonesia. So a couple of months ago, I went to Jakarta and um, I wanted to study uh, the cuisine there and the people there and just to relate back the history to especially the Chowkit area where we walk. We've got a lot, the root of Malay uh, culture and the cuisine is from Indonesia, obviously with the Malay archipelago, yeah, ranging from Philippines, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia. In Indonesia, you've got the babi, yeah, we've got babi guling, we've got the satay from Bali, uh, you've got the Java Islands, southern, uh, northern, and it's very different to the Sumatra Islands as well. So all these uh, different places in Indonesia. They all have different tastes, flavors, textures. So coming back to Malaysia, and that's where, you know, you have the Jawa influence. You've got the Batak, you've got the Minangs, you know, the Malacca, the Sumatra. So all these different um, uh, different places in Indonesia forms the roots and foundation of uh, the Malay culture and cuisine. Um, but in Malaysia, uh, we have sort of, of course, it's just like, Similar to, for example, the uh, recipes from my forefathers, my grandmother. So this is something that we eat in the family. And so that's how it works, right? You know, what works in the family and they love it. And then we continue to to sell it or you know, put it outside, you know. Um, the satay sauce essentially is very different in Indonesia and in Malaysia. And I tend to love the satay sauce more in Malaysia than in Indonesia. Hmm. And why is that? Um, it's so, for, for example, I do not like too spicy of a sauce. 
and neither do I like too sweet. So I need a balanced sauce. And I find the Malaysian peanut sauce to be uh, the best of what I've I've tasted. I think it's just a whole combination of the peanuts, the tamarind, um, the whether it's the gula melaka that we use sometimes, you know. Uh, so all in all, it's just a good combination, uh, a good balance of all the, you know, lemongrass, galangal, all that goes into the sauce. And it works for me, the Malaysian version uh, triumphs over the Indonesian version. That's my take. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's really that's the essence of transplanted cuisine, right, Pauline? It's it's not only yeah. what ingredients are available, but it's also perhaps changing and adjusting the dish based on the local taste and the local preference. Exactly. Exactly. I want to talk about one last dish that maybe originated in uh Indonesia, and that's called rendang. But I think the people of Malaysia have really um embraced this dish as well. I saw it referenced in one article I read that um, it's considered one of the national dishes of Malaysia. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just what I read. Um, could you talk about rendang a little bit? Oh, rendang is... <laughs> yeah, just a couple of hours ago, we just came back from a rendang place. Um, it, uh, we had rendang minang style. So obviously with rendang, it's, um, it's a slow stew. Yeah, uh, you need to cook it slowly. So with the, if it's a rendang chicken, then you have the old chickens to stew it. And then you've got the rendang beef as well. Um, you have two, uh, at least my favorite top two is either the wet version or the dry version, which is the rendang tok. Yeah. So again, different families uh, have a different recipe based on their family, their, what their preferences is. So for me, I like the uh, uh, rendang uh, minang style and the one with gravy. And you were just there today. That's so cool, having some uh, rendang. Yes, because it's very hard to actually find a good rendang. People will think that when you land in Malaysia, oh, I can find a rendang. Actually, it's not so easy to find a good rendang. Oh, interesting. What? Why do you think that is? Uh, you need, number one, you need to find uh, a good Malay restaurant or a stall that sells a good rendang. Not all stalls make it nice either. They may, they may use uh, not a good cut, you know, or it's, it's too cold, you know, they've been around for a while. So, you know, you've got to find the right place to have it. And there's not many Malay restaurants uh, around uh, Kuala Lumpur or Malaysia. Uh, they have some stalls there, but that's because, you know, we Malay would have it at home, you know, and then they cook it at home. And every time there's a celebration, there's a festivity, then they cook it amongst the family. So, yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a very popular dish, yet it's difficult to find because everyone's cooking it at home. <laughs> it all started with so rendang is something that we we um, that the Malay communities have it during the celebration parties festivals. Okay. So where their family and friends are invited, and hence all the aunties and the grandmas they have their own recipe and concoction. So they make some of the they make some of the best rendangs. Mind you that if you go to Penang, it's not so easy to find a place to have a good rendang either. So different areas 
of uh, different states in Malaysia. Uh, it's, it's not so yeah straightforward. In Kuala Lumpur, yes, that's because we are the capital. So you do have a few more choices here. Simply Anak does a street food tour. I love street food. Tell me a little bit about street food culture in Kuala Lumpur. <laughs> we are all into street food. Um, we, there's so much to eat. When you're bored of Malay, you go to the Chinese stalls. If you're bored of Chinese, you go to the Indian stalls. Um, it's it's a very affordable way of eating. Um, whether you have it for breakfast, you have it for lunch, we have for tea time, and even a midnight supper. Yeah. Um, we've got, um, you know, streets, night market streets. We call it the Pasamalam. And that's also quite fascinating because um, you have all the street food uh, for the residents after they come back work from KL. So Pasamalams are a go-to places. Uh, you've got the Chowkit Market in the daytime is a great place to go to because you get to try some of the street food like the, uh, we call it the Bansang Kueh, which is the peanut pancakes. Uh, you've got the Kueh Penerams. And of course, the best mutabak is in Chowkit. What was that last one called? It's the mutabak, which is the minced meat pancake, if you want to put it an easier way to talk about it. <laughs> okay, minced meat pancake. So what's the base? Is the base the minced meat or is it egg or is it uh, some kind of flour with a, a, a dough, a batter of some kind? So just think about it or picture it by, uh, so you know the prata, which is the roti chanai. Yeah. So you've got the roti chanai. And then what they do as the basic, as the base, and then they put the filling, which is minced meat, either chicken or beef with lots of eggs in there. And then all the spices, of course, the secret rice spices in there. And then they put it, put the filling inside the pancake, uh, inside the uh, roti chanai, and then they fold it and then they pan fry it. Okay. So this is uh, probably one of the influence from the Arabs as well, the traders, the Arab traders that came to Malaysia. So the Arabs, you know, you have all the breads, roti Arab as well. So a bit of an influence as well. The Indians, the Arabs. More transplanted cuisine, Pauline. I think that's the, uh, <laughs> that's the theme of our conversation today. Um, tell me about, on the street food tour, tell me about the steam buns, the char siu pao. Ah, well pronounced, right? <laughs> the <tar siu laughs> my, my my Portuguese <laughs> my Portuguese is kicking in there because I said, did you notice how I said pau uh, instead of pau? I, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> well done, <laughs> hundred points. <laughs> so the <laughs> the steam barbecue pork bun is awesome. Um, it's a must to have in the we call it the Sunday dim sum or dim sum every day. Um, in Petaling Street, Chinatown, we have the last handmade chassis bao. Uh, most of the chassis bao these days that we have are from the factory. Uh, so it's very, um, you know, even if you buy it, you microwave it, or you eat it hours later, it's become hard. Uh, but these ones are really good. It's a good portion of the barbecue pork. So you, as of all pork meat, you need a bit of fat. So for me, it's 50-50, depending on each one's taste. But a good uh, fat percentage in the pork inside the steamed barbecue pork bun is awesome. Um, in Petaling Street, you see it making right in front of you, and it's fantastic because these days, um, these are what we call the Kuala Lumpur living heritage. And it's uh, yeah, sadly, you know, um, as people pass on, then there you go. 
Sometimes you have the next generation take over, sometimes not. Yeah, it's hard for that next generation to uh, to go into this kind of business because it's it's hard work, and in it's a very hard work. and in a lot of cases, the parents they've been working hard all their lives to make sure their children won't go into it. In some cases, they want their children to, but in some cases, they're like, "This this is very hard work. I want a better life for you. I don't want you to take over the business. I want you to be I don't know a, a doctor, an engineer, something else." Um, a good example is like um, in Chinatown. I used to go to this uncle, yeah, 11, 12 years ago, and he operates from like it's a hut and almost in a hole of a wall in Chinatown. Um, he was getting old, but he was very passionate in making his coffee and tea. Uh, you know, in Asia, especially in Malaysia, Singapore, uh, the coffee tea or the mix between both coffee and tea it's a big thing, yeah. So. Um, in uh, short, uh, long story cut short, today his store, his name is Ho Gao. It's it's a so the next generation have fortunately taken over from his grandfather, and they've passionately set it up. It's a very nice setting. Yes, you pay a little bit more for the drinks, but then the legacy continues, and it's such a beautiful thing to see happening in Chinatown where he all started. Oh, that's terrific! Glad to see it's still going on. Let's talk a little bit about drinks. Um, when I go to Malaysia, to Kuala Lumpur specifically, I'm probably going to want to try a tea tarak. Tarak? Tarak, I think it's pronounced. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, <laughs> tell me about this. <laughs> tell me about this drink called uh, tea tarak. So to, per, to just have it a little more accurately, it's teh, which is tea. Teh. Tarik. Tarik. Yes, tarik. So it's uh, tea, pool. So basically, pool tea. If you've been to the Middle East, uh, I went to Qatar and had the tea, which is the karak tea. They have it. It's very similar. It's a combination of tea and milk. So you've got the sweetened condensed milk. You've got the uh, uh, sweetened uh, evaporated milk, and you've got the local tea. And all in all, this whole concoction, they uh, they dry it, so they pull it. And then, of course, along the pulling process, you have froth, yeah? And it's the froth that traps the flavor of the tea. Hmm. It's also very similar to masala tea, mm -hmm. the Indian chai. Sounds divine. And could we find this on any street corner in uh, Kuala Lumpur? Yeah, you can find it in any, we call it, Mamak shop. So Mamak is a term we call for the Indian Muslims. Uh, they started again from like stalls or small little push carts, trolleys, yeah. And now uh, after years of saving, they have it in shops. So you have a very some famous Mamak uh, in uh, or cafes uh, in uh, near KLCC there as well and around Darling Street, Chinatown, and yeah, everywhere in the Klang Valley. So everyone must order the tea correct. What? With one advice to everyone, always order it with just say tea tarik kurang manis. Yeah. So kurang is less, manis is sweet, less sweet. Mm. They're very generous. Malaysians, we are very sweet people. They're very generous in the sugar. And then it's sort of, yeah, 
you know, destroy the, the essence of the tea. So teh tarik, less sweet. What other drinks should we look for when we're in Kuala Lumpur? Oh, my favorite is the chum. So that's, again, uh, very different. Uh, so when I say, like, you know, some people like coffee, some people like tea. And in Malaysia, when you cannot decide, you just simply order a chum. So a chum is a typical drink you have, especially in Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, and it's, uh, how say, you have the uh, evaporated milk again, and you've got the uh, condensed milk at the bottom. So when you drink a chum, um, and of course, you say less sweet, all right, you have your spoon, but never stir it right at the bottom because that's where the condensed milk have sunk at the bottom. So you control how much sweetness you have in that chum as well. But it's a legendary drink, and it's a checklist. I love the layers on the chum. I love when my drink has layers to it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. <laughs> there's a there's a drink in Italy that's uh, that's like that. It's called uh, Bicherine, and they've got a layer of foam milk on the top. They've got a layer of espresso mm. in the middle, and they've got a layer of chocolate on the bottom. And it's divine but it's the same kind of idea that you have those layers and you don't stir it up because then you can control how much you get in each sip it's really uh it's divine and chom sounds the same way i would love to try one of those plus you have the exposure to the liberica beans yeah you often find in southeast asia which is very different from the arabica or robusta beans. and what's the difference uh, over here, the local Liberica beans, uh, so they have it tossed with um, uh, margarine and sugar. So it has this caramel fragrance in it, which is very different. I like the sound of that. I'm going to have to come to Kuala Lumpur just for the coffee. <laughs> it sounds delightful. I'll be waiting for you, Brent. <laughs> Well, Pauline from Simply Neck, it's been great talking to you. If folks want to get in touch with you and schedule a food tour, you've got a bunch to choose from. We talked about a few of them here today. What would be the best way for them to contact you? I will be directly to our website, www.simplyenac.com. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Pauline from Simply Enac. Thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink. It's been delightful talking to you about your city that you have so much enthusiasm for, and you've really made that enthusiasm come through. It's infected me. Now I feel like Kuala Lumpur is a place that not only do I want to go, but uh, we must go. <laughs> and I'll only have to say, Jumpa lagi. See you, Brent, in our local bus of Malaysia language. Okay, that's the delightful Pauline Lee from Simply Inac. You can book a food tour in Kuala Lumpur at simplyinac.com. That's simply E-N-A-K.com. I've also got a link in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash D-E-D-269. Well, that's a wrap on this week's show. Next week, it's aperitivo time in Venice, a unique cocktail in Denver, and much, much more. So don't miss that. Until then, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I just published a complete foodie travel guide to Beja, Portugal. Everything you need to eat and drink, as well as the coolest things to see in this small city that just might win you over. I also just posted a brand new video about the Italian-American neighborhood of Providence called Federal Hill. 
and you better believe we have some amazing food there. You can see that by clicking on the video tab at DestinationEatDrink.com or by going to YouTube at DestinationEatDrink946. And don't forget to support the show at BuyMeACoffee.com slash DestinationEatDrink. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.